Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the Sport and Life podcast in association with Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, master specialists in some of the finest home entertainment and installations. Please get in touch with Jason Briggs and his team through Bang & Olufsen Cheltenham social media or the website. All the numbers are on there for Jason and the guys. Um, loving my H4 Bang & Olufsen headphones. How are you doing? Uh, if you're Looking to optimise your immunity, very pleased to continue this kind of sponsorship association, not really sponsorship, but association with Cytoplan, nutritional supplement company based in Welland, not far from me in Cheltenham, where it's a bit cloudy today, but hopefully brightening up later, playing some tennis. Um, but supplement company Cytoplan, C-Y-T-O-P-L-A-N, specifically around, and it's interesting in the news this week, I'm recording this on Wednesday, Tuesday, there was a talk in the national media about possible resurgence of coronavirus in line with the typical kind of um, patterns around flu, influenza, which tends to spike in the winter and perhaps we'll have a resurgence in the UK. Uh, Immunovite is a supplement with that in mind that we take as a family and have done for 20 years under the guidance of my old man, my dad, Dr. Mark Draper, who is a nutritional specialist and general practitioner in the Cotswolds in England and cytoplan.co.uk. If you go there, one that we recommend is Immunovite, I-M-M-U-N-O-V-Y-T-E. And if you put in the code DRAPER10, you will get 10% off. Anyway, I hope you are looking forward to today, JD Dyer who is a fantastic young reporter and presenter at Sky Sports, works alongside me at Sky Sports News Reporting, one of the uh, main faces on the transfer show and all the transfer kind of talk stuff last year at Sky Sports. Transfer window in football is a little bit fractured at the moment, still waiting for some clarity over when the next Premier League football season will, will come at Sky. That will be obviously the 2021 season when it starts, but we're still trying to finish off the uh, 1920 season as is but we'll talk about that with JD talk about NBA with him coming back he's an NBA presenter very knowledgeable on that uh, players currently hold up in Florida so be interested to get his insight on that ahead of uh, the return of big time basketball in the US and uh, all the permutations of them being camped in Disney World and what he expects when they come back also going to speak to JD about Black Lives Matter being a strong voice of uh, passion for change, for equality, and he's also got a JD Dyer Foundation, which I believe works with impoverished people to support communities in both the Caribbean and Africa. So he's a kind of pioneering, uh, very admirable young man, full of passion. So it'd be great to get his insight on things as uh, as well. And I hope he's uh, hope he's in good spirits. So let's see how he is. JD Dyer, everyone. Hope you enjoy it. JD. Ed, can you hear me, mate? I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, 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 I can. I'm just sorry. I'm just trying to new headphones and they, they, I don't know if they check in and out or whatever. I've got my backup ones just in case. Oh, okay, mate. I can um, hear you. I can hear you if you can hear me. So if you have yeah, 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 yeah. I, I can hear you, though. How, how, how are you, personal? I'm very well, man. I'm very well. How are you? You're not, you're not busy today, are you? You're not reporting and not, not interrupting. No, you. no, no. I'm off today, man. I'm, I'm actually going to go and see my brother. I haven't seen him in about four and a half months. So wow. I'm, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it. How, how, <laughs> yeah. how, how's your family been? Everything, everything been okay? With the, yeah, the yeah, everyone's, yeah, everyone's been fine, man. Everyone's been fine. Um, my family's been quite, I would say, over the top. Like, no one really, like, no one has gone out. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. no one. So, it's um, good. It's, it's been okay. It's been okay. I'm, I'm back on the road for the first time, actually, tomorrow. Are you? So, Brilliant. Um, 
yeah, I think we're just kind of all adapting to it now and just understanding that I, I, I don't, me personally, I'm still a bit nervous because yes. I understand that COVID is still out there, but um, look, we're going to have to go back outside at some point. So yeah, yeah. Take your vitamins. Well, they're, they're fine, mate. We've, um, my brother had, had coronavirus, but he's only 28 and he, he got through it pretty much okay. He had an antibody test, so it was it definitely was coronavirus. That was back in... I think March he works he worked in a pub in Richmond so he got it he got it there um and wow. then he uh he's recovered and for, well sadly my sister-in-law's father passed away ultimately with the coronavirus but he'd been ill for a long time with premature dementia and stuff like that mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. so like that was sounds a harsh thing to say but it was it was almost a blessing in disguise but it was um a tough a tough time so I think and also because you can't I know the funeral was difficult and things like that so I think it's been a difficult logistical stuff um but we obviously we've still been going into the presenters of sports news have been going in um so that's been surreal but it's, there's more and more people sort of coming in but it's, it's a really strange one because it's affecting people so so different ways isn't it and as you know like covering sport particularly the nba like so many nba players seem seemingly have got it but been um asymptomatic haven't they yeah it's, it's um I don't, I don't know. The thing is, because we're still finding out about this virus, Yeah. I don't know if, if, if it's picking and choosing or if the more healthy you are in terms of working out just leads into um, you, you showing more asystematic yeah. symptoms. Yeah. But like, even Russell Westbrook tested positive for, for coronavirus on Monday, and he said that he's feeling fine. Yeah. Like, I said that he didn't even really know. It was only because, obviously, they're going into the bubble Yeah. as to why he's obviously found out now. Yeah. That, I just have the coronavirus, and it's just, it's just you don't even. I can have it right now, and I don't even know. No, exactly. It's, just, it's, yeah. just, it's very, it's very unique situation to have. Yeah, I think if you're young and, and, and healthy and things like that, and I think I say vitamin D to take vitamin D is important. You know, particularly if you're um if you if you're sort of darker skinned living in the UK, I think we don't mm-hmm. get that much sun, do we? So I think that's the, no, uh, not at all. That's, not at all. That's the issue. Um, deprived, deprived of it, man. I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Especially that's why I felt sorry for people going. Oh, you know, people in the flats, you should be get, you should be staying in and all this kind of stuff when the the height of the pandemic. But I thought, geez, they need to get out for their health. You know, mental health, physical health, the whole thing. It's um, yeah. it's so complex. A lot of a lot of judgments flying around. But I think everyone's just got to kind of do their research and. And feel feel confident and comfortable with with everything that's going on. Um, so where are you off tomorrow? You off to a press conference tomorrow? Or, no, no, uh, I'm going to Gillingham. I'm talking to Shauna Brown, um, former women's uh, rugby union player. Um, okay. She also did through I think she threw hammer throw as well for for GB at some point. So, um, yeah, she's a quite big. I think she even boxed as did well. She? She's just a she's an incredible all round athlete. Clearly. Wow, wow. Um, but yeah, she's allowing people into. Her, Garden, I think. Oh, good man, good man. What what have you made of the NBA stuff, the, the bubble and things in Florida and Disney World? It seems so surreal, especially as like Florida's now got a oh, bit of resurgence of the pandemic around them, haven't haven't they? Yeah, I think I think the NBA have done a fantastic job. I think they I think they've been incredible. They they're putting in so much money per day to to try and accommodate for these guys. I've seen videos and pictures and stuff from what the bubble actually looks like from the inside. So, mm. like, the amenities and sort of the the stuff that they don't say, like the, the chefs that will be that will be their private chefs sometimes for just one one or two players. Mm. Um, they, they're trying to sort out, sort of accommodate for their sort of personal stuff like haircuts and, and other things. So they mm. are really, really trying. It's, it's never an easy situation because you're, you're stuck in between 
trying to satisfy your broadcasting rights, your your television right, like your television rights, mm. sponsorship deals, and 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 yeah. effectively people's health. And I think the um, there's the the only the only people that stand to lose in this is the NBA from the PR standpoint. But I think they've just mm. as a league, and I think as the most progressive sporting league in the world. Out of all sports, I think they've just done a fantastic job so far. I think they've been, I think they've done as, as best mm. as possible with the situation. Uh, that they, they wouldn't have known that Florida was gonna sort of have a second spike and, and handle the situation as they've done, but I don't really think that's the NBA's fault. I think it's more the governor, that's the record, yeah. I think that's more the governor and the mayor of Florida not really taking it mm. seriously in the beginning. So, um, I think in terms of a bubble. I think the bubble is probably one of the safest places yeah. you could possibly yeah. be on Earth. Yeah, right it's a good shout. <laughs> I know you, you mentioned <laughs> this, Jeff, as well. You've yeah. seen some, um, some kind of like, I guess, uh, cheeky stuff on social media and people saying, that's like airplane food. But I think when you listen, like you say, you listen to who the chefs are. They've got the, they've got the top guys there. So I wouldn't mind that at all, to be fair, if uh, delivered. To- no, that's what I'm trying to say. It's probably the safest place they could possibly yeah. be at this moment in time. There's, there's nowhere else on earth where you're going to get that level of regular testing, that level of regular testing, um, that level of, of care for for your health um, and understanding as well. They've got the the beepers, the beep, most interesting part, and the and the so they've got two things mm. which I thought was fantastic. Um, they've got the beeper, which um, anytime someone was within a certain distance of you, I think it's either one mm. or two meters, it beeps automatically, so it goes up as if like a car alarm, and so oh, wow. can't, it can't be ignored. So it, it's trying to initiate that sort of social distancing almost immediately yeah. at, at all times and then the second thing is the ring that they have which monitors your um your temperature and looks for early symptoms of ah. the coronavirus that all the players are encouraged to wear at all times so if the ring which um is sort of looked up electronically to all of those sort of systems that they're doing the regular systems um testing by if the ring is showing symptoms they can catch those sort of covid symptoms three to four days before anything else so 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 these are sort of technological advances that i haven't Mm. seen in any other walk of society so i i I would turn around and say Mm. they're doing their best they are really are trying to set the place that's a really cool thing with the distance as well because it's funny we're in a shop um or queuing to get into a clothes store the other day and actually there was it was marked out on the floor what two meters was and i think casually we say in england and in the states oh it's six feet but actually it's about six six and it's actually really until you see it on the floor, you think, wow, that's actually quite a far, that's quite a big distance. You'd sort of underappreciate that. So having something that sort of sets off an alarm saying you're within that distance, I think is, is, is really practical. It's funny you mentioned the, the barbers. How have you, have you handled the hair situation? Because my wife's been cutting my hair and then I thought it was okay. And then, um, and then uh, someone, mess- someone messaged me when I was on sports news and said, mate, you need a haircut. I was like, oh God, must be the, um, uh, the, side, the sides or the back, I'm not sure. I am, I am... I'm lucky in one instance because I'm probably one of the only guys on TV with really long hair. Yeah. So I think uh, between my do-rag, which I literally keep on to maybe two seconds before I go and like, kind of pins everything down yeah. and uh, the amount of product I have in my hair, I think I've been <laughs> quite quite fortunate. And I lived I lived in Arizona beforehand. So Did you? I, yeah, I lived in Arizona when I was younger. So I, there wasn't really any barbers <laughs> that looked like me or could handle my hair before. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so... I've been used to kind of shaping my beard, and so I think a combination of having the long hair and the beard, yeah. I think I probably, I would say, got away with it. Mm. But I, I can tell 
and my sisters, my sisters are really the ones that can come manage. They're the yeah. ones that really they get into me, so they they can tell too. But uh, look, <laughs> no, you look good. You look good. You look good. That's um, yeah. that's interesting. You lived in Arizona because I lived in Ohio for a couple of years as well in the states, and it's um, that's where I covered. I had to cover high school basketball, so that's where I kind of got interested in basketball as well. When I was, mm. when I was out there, I worked in a, a local paper. Got into trouble a few times for the I had, a, I had an alcoholic editor who take out pull quotes to be salacious, and it kept me in trouble with the local uh, oh high school God. team and the fans and stuff. But what what were your experiences in Arizona? How much did you what did you think um, of, of being out I, there? Warm, I, 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 yeah, very hot. First of all, <laughs> um, yeah, Arizona is a, a very unique place. I I lived there working for like a local television station, so that was really my first sort of. Job, oh, awesome. I would say within the industry. Um, mm. But what I, what I loved about it was I was able to make mistakes. I was able to like get my ground in. I was able to to find myself. And I was also able when you're by yourself. Mm. And you might be able to adhere to this when you're by yourself and it's just you, uh, your apartment. Obviously, you have your friends, but your primary focus is your job. And yeah, your loved ones are, are thousands of miles away, tens of thousands of miles away. It, it, it honestly, it can be one of two things. It can either break you or it can reignite sort of a love and a passion that you didn't even know that mm. you had had for something and and all it did was make me love journalism on my on my days off I would come <laughs> in and, and try to anchor and I mean try to shadow the anchors and and on my days off and also I'd go on the road with senior reporters and try to learn from them too and just mm. covering such a wide array of sport my actual beat sort of what they call beat writing over there or beat sport mm. that I covered was was soccer was football but oh cool um it ignited my other loves for for basketball. It, it, it ignited my love for college football, especially. Yeah. And more than the NFL, because I just realised how important college football was, not just to the college, but the whole community. Sometimes the yeah. entire state. Yeah. Um, it it was just an incredible, incredible experience. I've never seen anything like it. I've never experienced anything like it. And um, there's good and bad parts to America, but I do mm-hmm. think the the sporting culture over there is something that is. Um, Untoward, something that you will never see anywhere else in the world. Yeah, that's a, that's very. It's, it's a lot of parallels with me. It's probably before your time, about fifteen years ago. But I was in Ohio, and I, I did, a, did my masters in journalism there, and I was working at a local station in Southeast Ohio called WOUB, and like exactly like you, got to report on TV, do radio stuff, do um, TV, like start anchoring. I put something on Twitter a couple of uh, months ago, just me, and I, I was about twenty-three, but I look about twelve, and just like squeakiest voice in the world, <laughs> and you know, like not talking about stuff I didn't really understand at the time necessarily, like baseball, and but it was. It was it was a tremendous learning curve because once I realised that, and I blew up one time live on air trying to trying to rattle off American football highlights. We went down for the first half of a game at high school, and then we had to come back and and like figure out and call the call the plays from the first half. But I just couldn't read my own notes, so I was just in a in a shambles on air. But it's like <laughs> stuff like stuff like that actually was a really good grounding. And um, it was strange because it's English language, but obviously it's so different to the British culture in terms of sport. You say like you covered soccer, and I tried to do a bit of that. I did a bit of high school commentary, but. It's very much a minority sport in Ohio, although I tried to get up to watch the Columbus crew and, and do a little bit around that. But it was, um, yeah, really cool, really cool experience. What did they make of a black Englishman in, in, Ohio, in Arizona? Because I asked, oh because gosh. one of my black yeah. friends, Alex Adewanju, um at WOUB, he had uh, black cousins in London. He thought it was hilarious that they had a British accent. So he thought yeah. that it was like... It when was I first arrived, disconnect. they thought I was lying. They genuinely thought, because I, I'll give you the story. So I was... When I finished university, I was mm. basically asking my lecturer, I said that I'd done work experience at ITV, I'd won this competition with ITV, I'd done work experience at the BBC, I'd mm. done work experience at Sky, 
been published in the Guardian and the Times. I was like, look, what what sort of direction can I go in? All I want to do mm. is is be a, a sports reporter and and be doing television. I've done radio, I've done newspaper, I sort of mm. print, but television's where my my love is. At. My teacher almost laughed at me. Was like, you're not you're <laughs> not going to get an opportunity here. Really? Like, you're, just, you're just not. And it was for a combination of TV of long hair and no one's going to turn around and, and and you just haven't got the experience. And I said, okay, well... Long hair, wow. That's just, and, yeah. uh, I know. And, and, and I just turned around and said, okay, well, uh, some people at that point would take it on, on the sort of, on the chin and be like, well, I guess I'm, I'm not going to do this. Mm. But I'm just, I was so stubborn. At that age, if I wish I was... No, I think I'm probably more resilient, but definitely with level of resilient. But that age, you couldn't tell me anything. You couldn't tell mm. me that I wasn't going to do do what I'm destined or saying I'm going to do. And it's so funny. I just say this quickly. I picked up my yearbook mm. when I left school in 2000. I'm not going to. I might, I might as well. 2000, 2011. Yeah. I picked up my yearbook the other day, and I read. Um, when I left school, when I left school, I actually failed one of my A levels, so I had to uh, resit one of my A levels. Okay. Um, but. I I read at the bottom what I turned around and wrote as to what I was going to be in 10 years. Really? Which is obviously what will be next year. And it actually said I was going to be a, a broadcaster on Sky Sports News, which is so funny. When I look back on it now, I didn't even realise subconsciously the whole time that was really my plan. Mm. But I say that just quickly because I asked my teacher, well, is there anything that you can do? And my teacher was, my lecturer was American. Mm. And she said, look, I can make one call at a television station and see if I can get you a screen test. But it's like, she said, it's like, it's going to be one in 30. Wow. And what, what an opportunity. Like, it's, it's, it's going to be, she said, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be at your own risk, basically. And I said, yeah, cool, wherever it is. Mm. I was thinking like maybe BBC Manchester, BBC <laughs> Coventry, BBC Oxford, like somewhere. Yeah, yeah. A local television. She was like, it's my old television station at Arizona. Oh, man. And she looked at me. And that, what and part, what part her, of Arizona is that? Is that rural? Flagstaff. 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 Wow. So real up north. Like, people only stop in Flagstaff to go to, to pretty much to go to the Grand Canyon. That's the only reason why you should really stop in Flagstaff. Um, and, and she looked at me. I think she was testing me at that point to see if I was true to my work. Because I said I would go anywhere in the world and do it. Mm. Um, and I said, let's do it. Hook it up. And within, a, let's say, a couple of weeks, I was took my mum for a weekend and we went to Arizona on a screen test. Awesome. Um, I had the screen test on the Friday and they let me know on the Sunday evening. I had my flat booked out on the Tuesday. Yeah. Um, but they let me know on the Sunday evening that I was able to, to stay and that they were going to help me in terms of sorting out my visa and things like that. And fast forward, uh, <laughs> <laughs> fast forward, how many years now later? What? Yeah. 2014. So fast forward six, seven years later. I'm, I stayed out there for just over a year. And awesome. it was, the most incredible experience of my life. I bet, I bet. So they got you a visa for a year, did they? That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it was, they didn't have to do it because I remember, now I've done a few screen tests. I remember the conversation that they were having in my ear. Halfway through my screen test, mm. they were literally, I don't know if the producers were pushing the button on purpose while they were feeding me information, but I, I, one of them was basically like, I don't understand a word this kid is saying. Yes. Why have yeah. we got this kid? Why have we got this kid in here? I just, <laughs> He's not. He's not going to resonate with our audience. How did you? How did you? Just, how did you pronounce that? Because this is interesting. Because when I was there, I had a, a Lithuanian friend, and she was saying to me, "Why don't you just do an American accent?" I was like, "I can't do an American. It would be ridiculous." No. If my friend saw me doing an American accent, it'd be crazy. So live but, TV is hard enough. Yeah, like to try and think that you've got to try and put on. That's why I give actors so much credit. But then again, that gives a soft start. But yeah. live TV is is nerve wracking enough, and and the. 
the hardest thing on TV to be is is the hardest thing on TV to be is not yourself. Yeah. So the only way that you can actually really get through a broadcast, feel comfortable and feel comfortable about your subject matter, regardless of your knowledge, is actually just feeling comfortable with who you are and what you're broadcasting. Yes. You you can't you can't fake it. No. Like so, trying to go on screen and put a whole different accent on. Mm. I promise you, at some point, man, you you give me the best news reporter you could possibly think of. Yeah. And they will still struggle at some point. Yeah, also, it just seems wrong, doesn't it, when you're an, when an English person speaking with an American accent. It seems like you're selling out or something. It's very strange. Yeah. But they wanted me to say, there's a guy called Fred Knight who ran the TV station where I was, and he kept saying to me, you've got to say Tuesday, not Tuesday, and leisure, not let, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Which I kind of get, and, you know. And there's, you make, loads of, loads of stuff. Yeah. They were like, oh, be, it's outside back, not full back. Oh, and, yeah. And, and wing attack. And I'm just like, I'll be real with you, bro. Where I come from, they're wingers. <laughs> yeah. Like, that it's a right back. And, and and if people get that, they get that. And if they don't, then they don't. Yeah. I, I look at it this way. Like, you're better off me not trying to focus on, on trying to call someone the outside back or stay inside the lines or mm. or 22 yards like or 22 metres, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Let, just let, let it flow naturally. Yeah. Let it flow naturally. And if it resonates, it resonates. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. And um, in the end, well, it must have resonated because they started giving me other opportunities and, and I did everything I could possibly think of out there. So, yeah. That's amazing. And they thought, being a black man, they were surprised, were they? Because they almost think that, they oh, almost think England is still homogenous, don't they? Don't realise how diverse yeah. England is. Listen to me, when I was, even simple things like, I only went out one night a week, um, Thursdays, because obviously Saturdays was, was game day and, um, Sundays or something sometimes happen to still come into the studio to do a wrap up mm. so my and Friday nights you will sometimes your day could stop really early on Saturday so Thursday was really my day that I went out and it was lucky because Thursday was like uh, one dollar whiskey in, this, in the best <laughs> bar in, in this small town yeah and Honestly, still to this day, big whiskeys as well, there aren't they? The, the oh, portions, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, 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 don't, they don't, they don't hold back when it comes no. to support. I used to leave my house with ten dollars and 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 be living as a good night, amazing, very good night. Um, but still to this day, I still never forget the bouncers and and the bartenders and just the people in the community shock anytime I'd ask for a drink, yeah, anytime I turn around and go somewhere or anytime I'd open my mouth because it's just such a assumption, maybe because of the way I dress, because of my style and. Mm. and there's just such an assumption that I'm not going to speak or be who that person is. Yeah, they thought you were, they thought you were American, like, yeah, Southern American. Yeah, yeah. fact. Yeah. Fact. Um, but no, I'm telling you, I'm from <laughs> London. People kept saying to me, is, is, the, is the Logan Daily News opened, uh, opened an Australian bureau and all this stuff? And be like, you know, you ain't from around here, boy, in the sticks and yeah, stuff. But, no, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. And, and, and it's, a, it's a cultural thing because even when, I covered the finals last year. Mm. Um, still going there and people still being shocked, just asking a question. But most of the time, by the end of the, the finals, because obviously you're travelling with both of the play, both sets of, both sets of players, both sets of teams, mm. like people were just literally calling me London. Yeah. They weren't even asking yeah. my name anymore. Yeah. They're just like, oh, yeah, London, what's going on? Like, <laughs> yeah. people just don't even... I got, <laughs> I got called, a friend of mine, Malada, she called me mate. It was like, she called me mate. And like, here's mate. And that, kind of, that was the thing they just would yeah. do. But yeah, it's funny because people couldn't, um, even as a, a white guy, I guess because I was sort of young and, and wore Abercrombie and Fitch and stuff like that when I was there. And actually, 
you know, had a suntan. They kind of, they didn't, I didn't fit the stereotype of an Englishman either. So it was like, they were surprised and they thought I was Australian half the time because of that, I think. So yeah, was, uh, yeah. they thought I'd be in a, you know, thought I'd be in a top hat if I was English and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I remember a guy in a bar saying to me, he said, you know, this is, this is the West. So what's it like in the East where you're from? You know, do they have cars and stuff? I was like, yes, yeah, mate, there's like a million films about London and England. You could, you know, it's this, <laughs> but it just didn't, didn't, under, but it was an eye opener. Living there was an eye opener because, um, and how, with the Black Lives Matter stuff, how do you con- compare and contrast it? Because obviously both countries have got a long way to go in terms of equality and, and viewing pe- everyone the same. But did you, mm. did you see a distinction? Because I, I felt a little bit of a distinction. But again, I was in a different part of America. And I think that's, it was a rural part of America. And, and we were concerned sometimes about black reporters and stuff like that. And that actually, I think it was different than it would be, say, in New York or, or Los Angeles. It, it's a huge country, America, so it is tough to generalise about it. Yeah. It, it's difficult because honestly, every every state has their own sort of feel. I've 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 travelled for America for so long, mm. and not I, I've had such a feel. I've stayed there for a prolonged period of time in in New York, in Atlanta, in uh, San Francisco, Oakland, um, LA, and those are very much what I would say commercial places. So you're gonna get huge amounts of diversity and huge mm. amounts of understanding. So you're gonna see people from every sort of culture looking wealthy. You're gonna see every sort of culture. In positions of power, you're going to see every sort of culture in, in it, um, in different responsibilities in different shapes and sizes. But like, I've also been to other places like New Orleans, mm. um, Saint Louis, like oh, amazing, and, yeah. And there is there is a restriction. There is such a, and even some places outside of Atlanta, in 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 wider Georgia, mm. there is really it's, it's such a. You wouldn't even think it's the same place. You wouldn't even think it's the same country or continent. It's just. It's so eye-opening, mm. just a disparity in the lack of knowledge and understanding yeah. for for issues because they don't. It, I almost feel sorry for them because they don't know any better. Yeah, they just they just all they know is the local news or what they're told or things that they read on the internet, and that's and that's what they make base their whole assumptions on. They mm. some people, I was their first black friend. Really, and especially when I went to Arizona, I was the first black person they ever interacted with. Wow, like for me, that's foreign. But then I asked myself. That's probably the same for some people in the UK. Mm. Uh, like, so it, America is just a wider scale yeah. with with more crazier stories because of the difference in their sort of laws yeah. and practices yeah. to how the UK are. But I think both countries have a long way to go uh, with, with the mindset. Yeah. The mindset and, and the sort of understanding for each other's struggles because I, I always say to myself I just find it so interesting to how can the oppressor ever tell the oppressed how they feel mm. Mm. yeah and, and and that will always confuse me in every walk of life I'd never understand how the oppressor feels that they can dictate to the oppressed mm. how emotionally and physically or mentally um trauma is supposed to feel mm. and and that is I think such a that's the feel like the conversation that a lot of people need to understand within their own mentalities. Yeah, well, yeah, I tell you what, I mean, that's because I moved around a lot as a kid, and I think that's been the key for me is, is actually getting a new understanding from hearing from people like yourself. I spoke to Leanne Sanderson last week about it, who's got a, a white mum and a black dad, and, and talking about the sort of complexity of that growing up in London and things. And um, 
and, and because I actually I was a sort of technically a minority in my first school because I went to a primary school in the West Indies in, in an island called Ooh. Grand Turk, and my my dad was a doctor, like a sort of flying doctor around the island and stuff, and and we were really welcomed into community. And I sort of grew up in that in that mixed environment of expats and and islanders, and actually. I didn't really think, and I tried to have this attitude of, you know, treat everyone as they come and you get shocked by racism and the concepts when you get used to it, but you think actually, you know, this will eventually diffuse. And then I think what's good about this is speaking to people and realizing what's still happening on what, what still is a sense of it not being equal, not being a fair sport. Cause if you're a sports person, you think you want it to be a fair game. You want life to be fair and you want everyone to have a, a crack of proving themselves on their, their own merits, regardless of mm. things like how much melanin they have in their skin, you know, whether they're a man or a woman or, or, or whatever it might be, whatever their sexuality is. And I think it's shocking to, in a sense, to reveal, to, to, un, to sort of understand it's still a problem. And that's where, I think I've come from is, is actually the last couple of months is suddenly is a white bloke realizing what's gone on. And I think like say what people are feeling, but also what they're experiencing. And I think, I mean, I don't know if you found that, that, that white friends have suddenly thought, actually, I, I wasn't aware of this because in a sense you can try and be a nice person or a well-meaning person and, and kind of not notice it. Does that make sense? No, 100%. I've been, I've been extremely proud of some of my white friends that have personally reached out like, and friends I've had for years, mm. But I personally decided to reach out. Maybe it's one on one because I've because I've been so front line with sort of my actions and how I feel about it. And they might have been aware mm. as to these sort of things happening in passing conversations and and whatever else. But I'm I'm seeing an actual genuine proactiveness. So people are asking me for resources. Mm. Where can I actually go and find out the truth about how history was, or um, have gone and asked me for um, different different things, or different have asked me hard questions and we sat down on the phone and these are friends one of my friends i've had i used to live with mm. i used to live in my uni we've known each other for eight years now um and and we had a real honest good hard conversation mm. um and one of my friends as well has been my friend for since for 20 plus years wow and we've had another honest conversation and these are these are these are some of my best friends mm. and they they understand they've seen it but I don't think they felt it. And for the first time, and, and what's made me proud is that they've turned around and both said, don't know each other, but both have turned around and said, it's not enough for me to just be, oh, I'm, I'm not a racist. I need to be anti-racist. Mm. I need to turn around and actually stamp it out. When I see microaggressions, um, help it. Like, yeah. not help it, sorry. Um, stamp it out right there and then. And, and I need to help myself and, and educate myself on causes and understand as to what the plight is and, and the situations and and not just try to take the easy route out as well. I, I, I don't feel that way, so it's technically it's not a problem. Yeah. It, it's it's not it's not enough. At mm. this stage I promise you it's not enough. And and the world we're in right now and the things that I we're all going through, I, I feel I feel like it's it's important to turn around and, and show allies from other races. And mm. that's what I've been to the protests. Yeah. I've been on the front line for these protests and and that's what's made me, made this feel very different. Yeah. Oh, this situation feel very different. Yeah. Is just that I'm looking left and I'm looking right and I'm seeing white people, I'm seeing Chinese people, I'm seeing um, Japanese people, I'm seeing um, Southern Asian people, I'm, I'm seeing everybody. Yeah. And, it, and, it's, and it's made me way more proud. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's, it is encouraging. I think there's also a renewed impatience because you and I know in sport, we speak to people like John Barnes and Paul Canaville who was a black player for Chelsea in the 1980s. And I remember speaking to him about 13 years ago, and he was saying, look, my own fans were throwing bananas at me and abusing me in the 1980s, but 
rather than us saying, actually, it's got better since then. I think there is an impatience now to say, no, no, it has to, it has to end now. We have to stop any injustice, any inequality. And actually, we're aware of this stuff. So now there's no excuse. We need to just front up to it and have those uncomfortable conversations. But what do you think the world looks like? I mean, we're, we're human, so everyone's kind of fallible on the individual level. But in a perfect world, of a, a utopia, do you think it's one where we don't even mention people's skin colours? We don't mention sexuality. We don't mention it. We just go into it and say this is the best person for a job or this person is, is kind or this person's talented. Is that what, do you think we'll get to a stage like that in, I don't know, the future? I, I, I always say it just requires, in order for us to get to that stage, it just requires a whole bunch of things to happen right now. Mm. And that's number one is um, an understanding that everybody, whether you want it or you don't want it, because of the way that we've been programmed from young, mm. has some sort of cultural bias and some sort of, understanding that doesn't make you a racist mm. but you will make assumptions because of naturally the experiences that you've been through yeah but it's about in that one moment when you make an assumption it's about what's your next split of thought seconds what's your next thought process after that moment mm. and if your next thought process after that moment is you know what i'm going to eradicate those things that have been embedded to me unconsciously since i was a child and turn around and say to myself you know what i'm going to take this person for exactly who they are in front of me exactly what they demonstrate if i know this person inside out Oh, this is the first time I'm meeting this person. I'm not going to make any assumptions. Mm. I'm just going to treat you as an individual. When we can get society to that level, that's when we're going to turn around and see change. We also need to educate kids from young, mm. from school, to tell them the truth. Because the story that Michael Holden told on Sky Sports Cricket the other day about um, Mr. Latimer, I, honestly, mm. I, I've known that story my whole life. I've also known about Mary Seacole mm. instead of Florence Nightingale. Oh, um, yeah. I've, I know... I'm, I've known La- La- Latimer, La- Latimer created the filament in the, in the bulb in case people didn't see it. the yeah. bulb. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, yeah. I was just making an assumption there. No. But I, I've, I've known these stories my whole life. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. I wish I could go on and I, I, could, I could give you an hour just on, on black inventors and black um, entrepreneurs and black pioneers within history that have just never been brought up in school. Yeah. It's... But... But it's about a reformation of the educational system and understanding it from two perspectives. Because how I look at um, the the lineage of of the British Empire is not how a lot of people would look at it. No, and and and, and unfortunately, there is two sides to every story. Mm. There is like well, so well, we, don't, we didn't talk well, well slavery. I don't know how I know about slavery, but I know the detail of it from the, the sort of fifteen hundreds onwards. But I think that was my own reading. I don't think that was ever taught to me in school. We basically did. Second World War, First World War, I think was pretty much most of the history we did. And what's so interesting about it is that even those wars, it's about understanding who those war heroes were. And, and I, I appreciate the, the freedom and liberty that they've given us, mm. but also understand the, the total picture of some of the traumas and pain that they've caused around the world. Yeah, And I'm not talking about in, on, on just a war, because a lot of those guys led for a good, good period of time, decades upon decades. So some of the actions that they did can't be justified or just because we saved in the war. Like there is a total picture that needs to be created of of these so-called leaders and these people within mm. history. So people can formulate their own opinions. Yeah. And people can formulate their own sort of understanding for the real the real history, not just the history yeah. that you want to paint and pick and choose. Yeah, people because that's what's interesting about history. It's facts, it's things that actually happened. It's not, oh, 
I decided to like I took out my day. I didn't I didn't talk to Ed today. I decided to just go to the barbers. Like that's not part of history. Mm. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Yeah, but that's it. But but that's that's true. Like there is nuance and, and complexity to all of us. Like I think we all want to be good, but we all make mistakes. And actually, if you look back at some of the figures like Churchill, who's supposed to have done great things and, and did keep us free for a period, that he's obviously conflicted and he had views that were were handed to him or that he formed that were racist. And you look at Abraham, mm. Abraham Lincoln, I know there's been a review exactly of, of him and the Emancipa- Emancipation Proclamation and the, and the liberation of slaves, but he didn't necessarily see black people as equal or whether he was mm. felt intimidated to not say that. I don't know quite, we don't know, but he was, he was complex and contradictory and like a lot of people. But it's important to understand that because it makes other people think actually, you know, I've done bad things. I've said bad things. And actually I can go and speak to someone. And I think listening to you now, and I think when you speak to people, and I know Matt Skelton, former European heavyweight boxer, had a really profound conversation with him. And he was saying, look, I want to sit down with racists. And because once you sit down with people like Daryl Davis in the, in the United States, who's, who's ended up people leaving the Ku Klux Klan in their hundreds because of him just sitting down with them and saying, look, I'm a man. This is what I'm about. And actually realizing all the mystique, all the myth, all the prejudice, all the stigma just drifts away because you can't refute when another human being is sitting next to you and being a good person, it's very hard for all that prejudice to, to remain intact, I think. I would, I would be, um, I, would, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Mm. I think, honestly, through my life experiences and the things that I've been through and things that I've seen, I think it's difficult to, like, okay, so we'll take the most recent example. That 12-year-old that decided to want to abuse uh, Wilfred Zaha yeah. or... Um, the twelve-year-olds, or whether some of them actually tell like some of them are grown men that did DM me in and say all sorts, mm. like because I, I get exactly the same. Do you? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course, a hundred percent. We say you say you my... say of course, but it's, it is like genuinely. I, I retweeted that Wilfred Zaha thing, which people who haven't seen it aren't on social media are active. That he was tweeted. Ultimately, it turns out by a twelve-year-old boy with a picture of the Ku Klux Klan and a threat to, to basically be lynched, I think, if, if, he didn't, mm-hmm. if he played well against Aston Villa. It's something ridiculous, which, again, that tribalism connection with football, sometimes I find difficult with the, the way that rival fans will take any form of hate and, and try and use it. But you, you get stuff like that, do you, regularly? Because I'll tell you what, another thing, JD, I didn't realise what our female colleagues have to deal with as well. Yeah. And the thing is, the female colleagues have showed me some of their messages that they get and some of the some of the I just call them weirdos mm. honestly but, um, but it's, it's it sounds it sounds so bad to say <laughs> it sounds so bad to say it but when I when I signed my first deal for Sky Sports in 2018 mm. and, I, and I knew I created social media that day I knew I already programmed in my brain from the experiences I've been through in life that the more, the more that my face would be on television, mm. the more that my profile as a journalist in this country or, 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 or around the world doing broadcasts would grow, mm-hmm. I, I knew it would come with it. I wow. knew it would. And, it, and it's, it's... I tell you when the abuse started. Mm-hmm. The abuse started when I started doing the transfer show, which is obviously when you're on television every day. Really? Yeah. But... So I, and this is the first time I've openly ever turned around and told anybody on any sort of recording that they saw. Like, my friends know it happens. Yeah, but this is the first time I've ever told, did, any, did, especially anybody. Else did other guys on the show know the appear nah. on the show? No, no, no. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want it to. At first, if I'm being honest with you, I didn't think anybody could relate. Mm. I didn't. I didn't think anybody. This is what was so refreshing because when some of the female colleagues, I think it was Joe that first showed me. Yeah. Um, some of the things that she was getting. Yeah. And then Emma and then Emma showed me, 
and then Jess and, and for those that listen, see, I give context now. That's Jess Crichton, yeah. Emma Payton, and Joe Wilson, mm. who are the three colleagues that we work with. I thought to myself, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I, I, even at that point, I still didn't say anything. Yeah. But they, yeah, they get they get lewd comments, sexual comments from guys who have bio saying proud dad or good husband yeah. and stuff like that. It's just incredible. But they're pu- publishing stuff on the on the, on the internet half the time, which is even more stupid yeah. as well as the, the horrible side of it. In the in the comments as well. But um I just didn't I just didn't I, and I've been black for 28, 28 years coming up this year mm. and I I've known and I know I know that unfortunately you could have a hundred viewers and ninety five of them will be just okay look let me just take in what this person's saying. Three of them probably won't care because they're just looking at it like, can we just get onto? I just want. I just came in for my sport, and and, yeah. and maybe one or two won't take in a single word that I'm saying and cannot look past my skin color or my accent or who I am as a person or because wow. I'm different. And then, but yeah, and, that's, that's scary, isn't it? Because there's actually a, a gay man on that show as well, and I don't think it's less overt. I suppose people don't necessarily know that whether he gets the same abuse or not. I don't know, but it's 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 scary that they can just. Do that. See, they get messages from you. What what aggressive messages saying, get off the oh, screen? Or I've I've had everything from. Well, I'm not going to swear on the podcast, mm. but I've had everything <laughs> from sort of yeah. If I see you on screen, or if I see you at grounds, and this is going to happen. Look, I'm I'm six foot one. Yeah. I'm a. I, I've been. I've done boxing. I've done martial arts and the rest of it. And I'm not trying to say I'm no, no, you're well, well built, well built. But I'm just saying, like, I, I come from Enfield, so <laughs> if if you think this is my first day, like, unfortunately, it's not. No. But it's not even a case of that because I've never told anybody at work because I never ever wanted anyone to feel like, oh, I need to turn around and send him some sort of. Error. I don't need the extra pampering, especially when you're settling into such a major corporation and it's new and you're just starting to, what I would turn and say, gain your respect for yeah. your colleagues. But that, is a, diff- wanna... that is a different challenge for you that other people aren't facing. So that makes your achievements, in a sense, more uh, admirable and more significant, I, th- I would argue, because that isn't nice. I mean, I blocked a woman the other day who, who started, I walked past a business in, in where I live in Cheltenham and said, oh, it's great to see this place open, local business. And she sort of messaged me, kept saying, why aren't you listing other businesses? And I was like, I'm not a local news agency. I'm just saying it's good to see them open. I ended up blocking her because she was arguing with me. But that, was, that was not, wasn't even in a, you know, anything necessarily unpleasant and particular to me. She was just arguing what I tweeted. But it's, um, I can't even imagine getting that much that, that hate about who you are because we're all, we're all a little bit, you know, insecure at heart. We, we, want, to, we want to be liked. That's the, the business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess I balance it though, because I do get a whole bunch of messages of, oh, you've given me hope, especially from young black boys and young black journalists. Like, are you giving me hope that I can do what you do? And I say to myself, well, to be honest, as much as you're looking at me and someone and be like, oh, like he's done this and he's done that. Like there's Sir Trevor McDonald before me, there's Reggie Yates, there's mm. Roger Clark. Like those are journalists that, like you mm. should really be aspiring to Mike Wedderburn at Sky Sports Mike Wedderburn and and those are people that you could really turn around and say like they 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 blazed away. I didn't do anything. I, I worked hard. I got into my positions, and, and I understand the the systematic problems that we sometimes face. Yeah, but I, at the same time, look, do you know what I mean? This is possible. This is possible to be yourself. So I don't. I really don't take. I had one honestly as as recent as two days ago. Really, someone just sent me pictures of monkeys in in a, in my DMs, and I just Jeez. I just laugh because I pick I, I click on a picture mm. and I see a kid, and the problem is that same kid. If I saw you at a Premier League ground or I saw you at 
non-league grounds or whatever else. Yeah. If you went with your mates, you probably wouldn't even have the bollocks no. in my eyes. No. So, and, like, and, and if he spoke to you, you'd probably realise you're a good guy, knew your football, knew you, 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 whatever. I'm, just so, yeah. I'm so embarrassed. And I just look at it as you're just probably, you're in an insecure stage. And unfortunately, a lot of kids go through that awkward, yeah. let's say 13 to 17 stage, and they don't know how to express themselves. So what they do is they rather spew hate on the internet rather than just spew an actual inner content. Because they're, they're scared and they feel like they want to deflect attention. Yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah. Of course they are. And that's all it is. Mm. But for me, I just feel like if you can educate or grab those kids younger and, and take that hate out of their heart, yeah. they don't turn into serial killers or people that want to turn around and do horrible things like we've seen in this country. Oh, it's, it's mad, though, because I've got a five-year-old daughter and literally she's got black friends, white friends. She doesn't call them that. She doesn't know. She doesn't know that. Mm. She doesn't even mention it, which is amazing. My wife's best friend is... Um, she's got a, a white father and a, a black mother from, from Dominica. And it's... It, it, she and she said to us, "Does your daughter, you know, does Zoe, our daughter, does she, does she notice anything?" I said, "No, she doesn't. She doesn't see a distinction. She doesn't even register it. She probably thinks you've got maybe a suntan, but she wouldn't even talk about it. So it's like, it's um, it's something. It's not. But then you go from like you say four or five, where you're full of love and just take people as you find them, and then you go to where you get that insecurity of teenage years, and particularly in the modern world now, you can find." If you're looking for hate and a, and a kind of sense of, to get, even if it's togetherness, that them and us, or we, you know, they're desperate for some sort of solidarity that they'll even be hateful to, to provide it, isn't it? And I suppose it's, I just, it's tribalism, isn't it? It's this, we have to get over that them and us eventually. And, and what's so weird about tribalism is if you actually break it down and actually go even wider, we're actually all the same race. Yeah, <laughs> well, so dumb about wait, there is no race. That's what I find difficult. I don't know what you think about that, but... Because look at the, no science, the science, there's no races. There's, it's just melanin based on how much sun your, you know, your forefathers you had. consumed yeah. and, and, and evolution, which is just, it's so, it's so silly to hate somebody because of the colour of their skin. Because mm. what's so, what's, all you're basically hating somebody is, is, is who was closer to the sun and who wasn't. Yeah. Like for me, that is, when you actually break it down and just say that out loud, it, it, it is so... <laughs> it's, la- it's laughable yeah. it's laughable because of the sheer fact of you actually don't really have a real basis to hate an individual well, you, you may as well hate so, people who've got size 10 feet and above or something there might be you know, some it, sort of like is, that random exactly. thing yeah. or, or people that's over in the six foot club and you're not so I just I say to answer your initial question when does the utopia happen it's um, it's when like I, I was, I'll be honest with you I had the conversation my parents had the conversation with me when I was 10 about understanding that I was different and understanding how I had to manoeuvre in terms of being a young black boy in, in, in just in society. Had you and experienced that before then or were you still relatively innocent? No, no. I think I think 10 was the first time I experienced racism and, and I didn't deal with it well then. Like, hmm. um, I, I'll be honest with you, I got into a fight and I, I beat that kid up. Um, <laughs> but I... But that might be a I, lesson in it, itself, yeah. Yeah, and I think I think there was an element of my dad that was proud that I was I was I understood and I was I was able to stand up for myself. But at the same time, I I know that my mum also understood that I couldn't. You can't go through life like that. Mm. It's not every single time that you're faced with it you're going to turn around and be able to exert physical or 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 exert your authority in that situation because there's going to be instances where you if you assert your authority you could lose your life. Yeah. Or your, or your career or whatever, yeah. Any situation. So you need to understand and have an inner confidence. And I think that's what my parents installed in, within me. You just need to be proud to be black. Yeah. You just need to be proud of where you come from and your heritage and your lineage and all the rest of it. And once, once someone can't strip you of that, 
mm. then you don't feel the need. And I don't feel the need to tell my dog to bite racist anymore. I don't. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's a you problem. It's not my problem. Yeah. You've got a problem, not myself. So I, I say to ask you a question, when do we, when is a utopia? I think the utopia is when we don't have to have a kid, a conversation with our kids that early mm. or at any point to tell them and be like, look, you're going to be, because I'm going to have a black son. Unfortunately, I am. Yeah. Not unfortunately, tell her black, but I, 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 fortunately, I'm going to have a black son. Yeah. And, I feel like I was insane, unfortunate, because unfortunately I probably will have to have a conversation with him yeah. as to how to manoeuvre within life. Yeah. But yeah. when I don't... Is, or, is, your, is, your girlfriend, or, is your girlfriend black, is she? Or is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, girlfriend, yeah. My, missus is, my missus is black. She's actually African-American. She okay. comes from Oakland. Oh, cool. So California. it's even more... Yeah, it's even more pressure than everything <laughs> else because she, she comes... We have... Um, Got the English English American rivalry as well, and, yeah. And two completely different perspectives and two completely different experiences on it, and it's still they're still so profound. Yeah. And 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 I'm I'm touching wood because I'm saying that she's going to be the bearer of my kids, and and then from there, it's we have to teach her both. We have to teach him and her mm. both stories experiences in yeah. terms of 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 what it's like to maneuver within this sort of society and how. What I, what I term and describe it is the UK is very systematically racist, whereas mm. America is very overtly racist. And as someone who's lived in both, yeah, it, it, it's very profound and very obvious mm. how you need to manoeuvre in both societies. Amer- America's raw in all terms, isn't it? It's such a y- young country. And I think about, I'm reading about the, um, the Comanche Indians, or Native Americans, but I think some of them like to be called Indians, but they... Uh... The savagery of, of their sort of um, murder on the on the plains, but also the, the murder they handed out to the Texas Rangers. It was a brutal place, born out of blood for states, and obviously the slavery mm-hmm. and stuff as well. It's 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 raw, but like you say, at least it's more overt. Whereas I suppose in, in the UK, like you say, that getting more and more and more sense of subconscious bias and how people pick people who look like them, and it's all the old boys network and things like that. And what struck me is we all we should be grateful for you in broadcasting because what you did. And came in not necessarily just because of your skin colour, but actually, you know, you speak like you're from Enfield. You mm-hmm. you dre- you got your long hair. You dress the way you do, which is very snazzy. But it's not like before. There was like you know, we all had to try and fit into a prototype. Which even as a white Englishman, I found difficult because I was like, you know, I don't want to necessarily dress the same way as everyone else. I don't want to. I remember my brother saying to me, "Oh, you need to get short back and sides." This was about 10, 12 years ago when I was twenty six, twenty seven. It was like, well, no, I grew my hair a little bit, curly hair and stuff, and. It was like, oh no, you're not going to get on if you do that. And I think it has things are changing now. People are allowed to be themselves a little bit more. And I think you're a big, a big part of that. I see that for young people watching can believe now that they don't have to, to cut their hair a certain way, don't have to talk a certain way, don't have to be a certain way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and the reason as to what it, my sort of thought process behind that was because if we're being very honest about sort of the corporation that we work on, I love Sky. I mm. love Sky Sports. I have to say it on the record earlier. Yeah. I have to say it early, No, no, but, I agree, yeah. Um, um, they are very, like, selective as to their sort of, their pool and their education pool as to, or their recruitment pool as to where they pull people from. Mm. So I know that very, very distinctly that I chose my, my postgraduate. I went to Cardiff University and I chose that on purpose yeah. because I knew that it would leave me instead with the sort of the major corporations that I wanted to come back from the States and work with. Yeah. So, um, but now I think about my thought process. I, I definitely looked at Cardiff like it was just a stepping stool. I learned a lot while I was there, but it was just so that I could get in the door of those places. Mm. And I said to myself, look, once you've got the experience that you have, um, you have all of the educational credentials that you have, uh, you've worked at all of the different organizations that you have, and 
you I can't be anything but myself in terms of on camera and I I personally believe that I just try to add something very different to every broadcast I, yeah. I look at it as then I'll know the truth and I, I'm not gonna lie to you at that point once I got my master's I said to myself I'm giving myself a year mm. and if if I'm not respected or understood or appreciated for who I am on screen here I'm never coming back to the UK yeah I was never gonna come, I was never gonna come back and I, I it took it, it, it in fact it took 13 months for me to be signed by Sky so mm. I just a, a one well, that's quick though isn't it because I mean yeah that is that is quick as well at your age that's that's really good in a sense yeah and but I, I just think about the actual the experience and the turmoil and, and the pain and everything that goes with it. And I think about the whole journey. Mm. It all been building up to that moment. And to feel to myself that the only reason why I did all of that was just so that I could turn around and, and prove to myself that I could be as good. Mm. There are probably journalists that haven't gone to those sort of universities that that could easily do the credentials or easily yeah. easily do the job that I've done, but aren't given the opportunity. No. It's get, gatekeepers, isn't it? It's fickle. I don't envy the people who make those decisions either. I think democratic process with people of different backgrounds on the on the selection panels is, is the key but even as a white guy again i think that being judged in the tv industry growing up and coming through is it's hard it, it, it kind of attacks your self-esteem a little bit and you, you feel you feel second guessing yourself quite often and things like that because you're trying to impress someone who you don't even know necessarily what they want it might be a gut instinct or or, or something that's intangible do you remember your screen test? I remember because I came in, yeah, I did a screen test because I was on the digital side. We were doing digital bulletins for a company based in Victoria that got bought by Sky and we came in. And then, but I did screen tests for sports news for years, probably four or five years before I then got an opportunity to be on sports news. I did Sky News Sport first. But yeah, I remember just the, the terror of it and not knowing what you're doing and, and just not knowing and constantly thinking, oh, that person's got the job. What are they doing that I need to do? And it's, it was, in a way, like you say, you just have to go back to being yourself because it, it can mess with your head a little bit. I, I the only experience that I'll take from that screen test because I had um, when I had my screen test at Sky, the only experience that I took was I remember being in the waiting room because it's kind of like a conveyor belt. So you yeah. kind of see the two people that's before you. You can kind of see the two people that come uh, that are just leaving the process. And I just remember very distinctly, distinctively. And it's so funny because it was Femi, mm. yeah, who works on the floor manager, yeah, now. yeah. Um, and I remember asking Femi like looking at the two candidates that were waiting before me and then seeing the two that were coming up um, had just finished and whatever else. I'm thinking, well, these people look exactly the same. Mm. And I remember just going up to Femi and the first time I ever interacted with Femi, I just said to Femi, I said, Femi, has everyone looked like the, the people that's, that's here today? And he said to me, he said to me, I'm going to be honest with you, bro. They all look like twins. Everybody <laughs> has looked exactly the same. You are the only person who stands that out, has, yeah. has had any sort of, difference or diversity to you today and at that moment mm. I realized that I took a deep breath and I said to myself I'm not going to be anything but myself when I go in there yeah because if I if I'm anything but myself if I try to impersonate these people mm. here or these people that are before me or people that I see on screen yeah I'm not going to get a job no so I said to myself you know what I just took, and I'm so glad I had that conversation. And Femi remembers that conversation because I probably would have gone in there with a completely different attitude. I probably would have gone in there to try and be what I see on yeah. Sky Sports, but I didn't. No. I, I had fun. I smiled. I joked. Um, I got through these bulletins. I probably, I think I made a mistake or two, but I, I, always, say do, yeah. I always say it's just about 
actually being able to just enjoy sports news. Mm. Be in the moment, yeah. And like you be yourself in the moment. That's the key, isn't it? Not overthink it, not just kind of like kind of get lost in doubt or, or tan- tangents or stop if you make a mistake. So. But it's, 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 yeah, it's fascinating. Well, good, mate. It's a great story and I look forward to seeing you in person so soon, hopefully. Um, yeah. Quick, quick thought on the NBA because obviously there's, I suppose, the Black Lives Matter. I'm expecting something quite uh, profound and impactful from, from them given the history of, of black Americans in, in basketball, going back to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. They've been trailblazers, I suppose, and heroes for for black people around the world. Do you expect something significant when it comes back? I expect um, those jerseys that are holding the messages because they've allowed the players to hold, I think it's one of nine messages. Um, so like equality, mm. uh, reform, changes, um, to hold it significant weight. They're replacing their, their names on the back of the jerseys with messages uh, for things that these players have called in action. And, and I ask everybody... Um, all the leading sporting organisations to really take note of what the NBA have done. Mm. They've allowed the players to express themselves by being on protest, by talking about social reach, by turning and actually impacting their communities. And by doing that, not only has it made the players bigger brands and, and then allowed the players to have a, a voice, it's created a connection between the players and those communities. Mm. And, and I, I, I really do ask why are the other sports or the other governing bodies so scared to allow their players to do the same? I look at yeah. the NFL, I even look at the Premier League and I, and I think to myself, like, you really don't understand that you could use these great platforms and these great talents that these players have had mm. or have, sorry, and allow them to really utilise their platform to initiate change. Yeah. And if, if, if you really do that, society will look different. Because sports is the vehicle that connects people regardless of their background. I know people yeah. get into this whole tribalism situation, but I promise you the same person that is sitting there spewing abuse <laughs> at um, Raheem Sterling will have his name on the back of his shirt next summer at the Euros yeah. and be screaming if he scores the final at the finals. Yeah, it doesn't so make sense, yeah. It, it yeah. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So allow these players, instead of you using these players, allow these players to be the vehicle for change. Mm. And I think the NBA has been the most progressive league in the world when it comes to that. And what you're going to see is, is a unique time. I know that a lot of the players, like, for example, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, won't be um, spewing messages on their back. Mm. But then if you look at the initiatives that they've had, like, for example, LeBron James is more than an athlete initiative. Yeah. Anthony Davis is still very hands-on in his home community as well as the LA community. Like, these, these guys are initiating change in, in their actions every day. So this is not new to them. No. And um, um, what I love is just, this is going to be such a unique time. And I don't think 2020 will be a year that anybody's ever forgotten. And I'm so glad that sports, especially the NBA, is not allowing themselves to just wither themselves out of the moment. They're going to allow this message to carry on strong, yeah. hopefully for a long, long time. Yeah, I hope so too. I think it is powerful. I think, you know, interesting that Michael Jordan has criticised, has, has come out and made that, made that kind of um, huge financial contribution to, to kind of fostering equality is, is wonderful. JD, it's been amazing to talk. I'm sorry to go, um, but I've got to shoot. And also this recording, if it goes over an hour on this app, then doesn't save oh. properly. So, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. But mate, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. When's the NBA back quickly? When are you back on screen for the NBA oh, stuff? Um... Well, you can still catch us on, look at the promo, what's it? You can yeah. still catch us on the heat check on every Tuesday. Um, 
and I, I don't know what days this this you're looking to put this out, but we're also repeated on Sky Sports Arena at eight PM every Wednesday. Cool. Um, but I'm back in studio on the second of August is my return. Awesome. But the NBA action, the NBA action is back on the thirtieth of July. The Zion kicks everything off. So look, it's going to be a bubble. It's going to be very unique. I'm not going to take you over your time. But all I will say is, look, this is going to be. Uh, an unbelievable two, three months of just NBA action, just whirlwind, all, 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 all hands on deck, and I'm just looking forward to it, man. JD, we're looking forward to seeing you, mate, and I appreciate you coming on as well. You're a pioneer and you're a brave young man, and I think you're doing a fantastic work. Thank you, and I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks so much, Edmund. I'll catch you soon, bro. Take care, JD. Bye bye. What a man, JD Dyer. Love that. Uh, check him out on social media. He is on Instagram, certainly, presumably he's on Twitter, despite all that negative flack he's getting. Quite profound to hear that, isn't it? I very rarely get anything negative and uh, don't have a little, little truck with it as I get older as well in terms of negativity on, on social media. But in terms of vehement hate that people like JD are getting, non-white people, and also, as we mentioned, white, black, and women of all different backgrounds getting sort of horrible, lewd abuse from from men on social media is something that I was kind of unaware of until recent times and people have shared that with me. So it's quite eye-opening, I suppose. There is an undeniable truth of white man privilege in that context and lots of other contexts. So great to speak to him. Brave brave man in terms of uh, forging his own way as well and his, um, his own style and his great broadcaster and knows his stuff around football, certainly, and definitely basketball and the NBA coverage on Sky Sports as well. Check him out there. Check out his social media. Check out his foundation as well, which I'll put to notes. We didn't actually get around to talking about that, but I know JD is helping support communities in the Caribbean and Africa as well. There's a cool video of him actually online, walking a cheetah with a leash, which I didn't get around to talking about, which would be great to uh, to explore next time I speak to him. I'm sure we'll speak to him again on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, guys. Let me know if you uh, if you do ed draper 81 on twitter ed underscore draper 81 on social media thanks again for the sponsors and partners of the podcast for bang olufsen cheltenham and serene av uh, specialists in supreme home entertainment systems and installations get in touch with them via their social media bang olufsen cheltenham or the website and all the numbers listed there for jason and his team and a big shout out to Cytoplan as well. We talked about that with JD, boosting our immunity at the moment, optimizing our immunity, certainly on our minds as this uh, sort of curious and deadly pandemic sort of continues in uh, various degrees around the world to be uh, prominent and uh, prevalent. So I think health is hopefully on the agenda now. And interesting to hear some government messages on a commercial radio station recently promoting exercise, diet, um, Good, good exercise and diet, well, healthy stuff. So I think that's a positive change that may come out of all the negativity of the past few months and the stresses and the strains and the anxiety around health and finances. But I hope you're well. Do appreciate you listening to the podcast and supporting it. If you could write it on iTunes, if you're motivated to do so, that'd be fantastic. Or wherever you do listen to it, because I know the podcast now goes out on numerous platforms via its host, Anchor. And thank you to Anchor for that. Uh, hope you're well and have a good rest of the week. It's a bit cloudy here today, but hopefully... The sunshine is back in the UK at least and hopefully shining on you wherever you are. Thank you guys. Appreciate your time. Bye-bye.